Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash Show. That's right, Bill Press Show this Friday, November 10th, 2017. Good morning, good morning. I'm not Bill Press. I'm Igor Volsky filling in for Bill Press in case there's any confusion. But glad to be with you here on a super busy week in D.C. for our nation. The first ever elections, major elections in the era of Trump. Uh, We're going to have later on the program two of the new delegate-elects in Virginia to talk about the campaign that was and the message it sent uh, to the nation. Uh, Pretty pretty exciting stuff, I think. Um, Also, uh, we'll talk about the tax plan. Republicans call it tax reform, but is it really reform or a tax cut for the richest Americans? My Great colleague, Seth Hanlon, by the way, if you don't follow him on Twitter, I'll be saying this throughout the show. I would never say this about you, Peter, but Seth Hanlon has a great Twitter feed uh, at Seth Hanlon. If you want to Igor, follow him on Igor, Twitter and Igor. learn all you need to know Igor, hold about on taxes, Jamie Benson. I have, I have an announcement. Yes. Peter is no longer on Twitter. Yeah, I got off Twitter. You got off Twitter? Yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll have to get into this. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. We'll have to get into this. I feel very, uh, I feel very strong about my decision. I didn't realize it was going to be snitched out on air uh, by Jamie Benson. But uh, I, you went public with it. I went public with it. That's, yeah, that's fair. You're, you'll be back. You might not be wrong. I'm not one of these people saying I'm gone forever and ever, amen, but I'm off of it for now. All right. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. and get. Maybe is it because you're protesting 280 characters? I got thoughts. I'm happy to get into them with you. <laughs> okay. We'll get into those thoughts uh, here on the show, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Another day, another horrible Hollywood elite brought down by accusations of sexual misconduct. I mean, who hasn't been? At this point, really and truly, this time it's comedian Louis C.K., which there have been rumors for quite some time about his behavior towards women. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how to put this delicately, but he has been accused by five different women of sexual misconduct, specifically inviting them to his hotel rooms or calling them on the phone or inviting them into his office and masturbating in front of them. Uh, there were some women, comedians, who went public with the New York Times yesterday, put their names on the story and said that this is what happened. 
said that he invited them up to his room, and while everyone was still clothed, he got completely naked and did that in front of them. Uh, Louis C.K., it should be mentioned, he has a new movie that was supposed to debut last night. The big screening had been canceled because they anticipated this big story coming. He was also booked on um, Stephen Colbert's show, and he was replaced at the last minute on that as well. Ugh. So people are paying attention. You know, in, in 2016, we used to think about when we saw celebrities' names in the news, oh, did that person die? Now we think, did that person commit sexual assault? Yeah, sexual assault or sexual harass a woman. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's bad. It's really Not really unbelievable, bad. actually, because there were women for years who've made these accusations against him uh, fairly publicly, and it wasn't until this story, maybe yeah. a couple of months ago, that it really started leaking out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we know that Amazon... Bought Whole Foods. Yeah. Right? Have you been into a Whole Foods recently? I've not been into a Whole Foods. I have. Well, you're going to see a lot more Amazon inside of Whole Foods. They said that, uh, you know, obviously they exist online, but they're going to start selling Kindles, Fire Tablets, and other Amazon devices (laughs) at Whole Foods. I'm kind of into this. Are you really? I I think it's really silly. I need a new Kindle. (laughs) Now I I know where to go. I think... Oh, you're a Kindle you know, guy, huh? I like a good Kindle. I like a good book. I like a good Kindle. Hmm. Here's you know, what's kind of stupid about this is that Am- Amazon is built around the idea that you do not have to leave your home. Right. So right. You're, 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 in effect, you're now leaving your home. Well, now they're expanding on the idea. The you can, you can leave your home. It's a very weird stay brand home. confusion, if you ask me. Yes. I'm not confused. Like Whole Foods... <laughs> First of all, I'm very... Whole Foods sells groceries. <laughs> Whole Foods sells organic groceries. And while you eat that organic apple, Amazon read a good book. Amazon sells electronics made in China. We're going to unbox a Kindle at the grocery store and start reading. Yeah. If it's someone, charged, like, someone like you would do that. I would, yeah, do, that. would do that. And check out. Oh, look at that. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. All right, Igor Volsky filling in for Bill Press on this Friday, November 10th, 2017. We're chuckling because as we were coming on air to you, we saw uh, on CNN uh, Bill Press interviewing Roy Moore, uh, who was then probably a judge, right? I don't know the date of that clip. Uh, Roy 2005. 2005. Uh, in that clip, Roy Moore, who now is all over the papers this morning, as you'll see, for allegedly uh, having sexual encounters with a woman when she was 14. He was 32. Since then, three other women. So there's a total of four accusers, four accusers against Roy Moore saying that he pursued uh, sexual relationships with these women when they were between the ages of 16 and 18. He was in his early 30s. Um, I don't know if people are surprised by these revelations, but what is not surprising about Roy Moore is that he has a long and controversial past of saying all kinds of nasty things about all kinds of people, including gay people. And it was in that clip, right, Peter, with with Bill that he said back in 2005 that he said that homosexuality should be illegal. I think it's a yes or no. Do you think that homosexual homosexuality or homosexual conduct? should be illegal today. That's a yes or no question. Homosexual conduct should be, should be illegal. Yes. Should be illegal. Yes. yes. 
2005 Roy Moore, his his views haven't really changed. Uh, no. Haven't changed at all They've in 2017. Yeah. And now that he's being accused of, of these crimes, now let's just uh, maybe go through. This is a Washington Post piece that landed yesterday and created some real waves uh, for Roy Moore in his Alabama Senate race uh, with national Republicans. They were all asked about it. We'll play sound of that in a second. But let me just read you the details from this Washington Post piece. The headline, woman says Roy Moore initiated sexual encounter when she was 14. He was 32. Uh, he met this woman when she was at a courthouse. Again, she was 14. He sat down next to a on a bench next to her gave her uh, his number uh, and then picked her up at her home, uh, drove her to his home, which was 30 minutes uh, away in the woods, told her he was pretty and began kissing her. Uh, He took off her shirt and pants and removed his clothes. He touched her over her bra and underpants and guided her hand to touch him over his underwear. Um... Uh, that that and that relationship appears to have lasted some time, uh, and th- that's not the only one. As we've been saying, there were three other women who the Post interviewed uh, in recent weeks who say that Moore pursued them when they were again between the ages of 16 and 18. He was just in his early 30s. D.C. senators, D.C. Republican senators were asked about this yesterday. Uh, let's start. Let's play a whole battery of them here, Jamie. Fl- uh, Sen- this is going to be Senators Flake, Senators Lee and Shelby uh, saying, listen, if these revelations are true, there's no place for Roy Moore in the Senate. If there is any shred of truth to these stories, he ought to step aside. And now if they're true, he should step aside. Well, I don't know. It's a, it's a devastating, nasty story. Uh, if the revelations, if that's true, I don't believe there'd be any place for him in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, nasty's story the is way, right. The, but- the, the if they are true is the new thoughts and prayers. Like everybody is, <laughs> everybody is like, well, if these allegations are true against Judge Moore, then he must step aside. Like, this is pretty solid reporting. If the truth re- was in the story. If you read the story, I mean, this is a well-reported story <clears throat> in the sense that, like, people are putting their names on it. Uh, there are multiple uh, 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 people who corroborate the story. And I, and I know that that's, I mean, look, if a woman says that she was sexually assaulted or, 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 or excuse me, uh, statutory raped, yeah, then you we should believe them. But, like, the fact that this is so ironclad says a lot about the type of reporting that was done on it. It's really hard to look at this story and then with a straight face say, well, if this is true. Well, and you also see a pattern between the accusers, which is one of the one of the signs here. They have similar stories, meaning that he operated uh, in, in very similar ways. It's how these abusers act. We now know from stories about Harvey, not now, but we've always known and now more of us know that it's how abusers act when you look at someone like Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby. Uh, it's a it's a long, long list. Now, how is Roy Moore? You might be wondering, how is Roy Moore responding to these allegations? What is Roy Moore saying? Well, Roy Moore, who uh, paints himself publicly and his entire political career as a d- devoted Christian conservative who stands up for conservative Christian family values and in that frame denigrates uh, everyone who is not like him. Uh, it had sent around a fundraising email, Peter, 
saying that uh, donate to his campaign, that this fake news, he calls it, these allegations, this fake news, uh, they're trying to tear him down. They're trying to uh, malign him. He, of course, is denying all of these allegations and is trying to use them in his uh, political campaign uh, to stay afloat. Here's one of his biggest benefactors, Steve Bannon, who, of course, was Donald Trump's uh, top advisor in the White House, speaking yesterday uh, to a room full of loons, if you listen to this reaction, um, blaming the media uh, and Washington Post for reporting on these stories. Here's Steve Bannon. The Bezos, Amazon, Washington Post (laughs) that dropped that dime on Donald Trump is the same Bezos, Amazon, Washington Post that dropped the dime this afternoon on Judge Roy Moore. Now, is that a coincidence? I mean, what is he getting at? The, the, the dime that was dropped on, on Donald Trump was by his own making. The, this, this situation, as you point out, is a well-reported story from four different women, all revealing the similar patterns of behavior from Roy Moore. Steve Bannon's strategy appears to just deny, um, you know, is to go after the messenger instead of interrogate the actual substance of this. Let's be very clear. Uh, he was 32. Uh, this girl was 14. That is statutory rape. Statutory rape. Even in Alabama, that's statutory rape. Um, so you're seeing the, well, if this is true, then that's a problem. But the ultimate water carrier is Alabama State Auditor Jim Ziegler. Jim Ziegler. Jim Ziegler. What a name. Who said, quote, take the Bible. Zachariah and Elizabeth, for instance. Zachariah was extremely old to marry Elizabeth, and they became the parents of John the Baptist. No, no, no. That's not it. (laughs) That's not it. He also says, also, take Joseph and Mary. Mary was a teenager, and Joseph was an adult carpenter. They became the parents of Jesus. I can't. End quote. I can't. That's his defense. Not, Not if this is true, it's bad, but... This is probably true. If it is, <laughs> who cares? When you're in trouble, go right back to God. Like, yeah. how in the... I mean, that is a defense for statutory rape. Can I give you another one? Uh, go ahead. So this is from Alabama Marion County Republican Chair David Hall. Daniel Dale from the Toronto Star uh, got this quote from the GOP chair, David Hall, in Alabama. He says, it was 40 years ago. I don't really see the relevance of it. He was 32. Oh wow. She was supposedly 14. Supposedly. 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 She's not saying that anything happened other than that they kissed. Oh, well, she no, is. she goes farther. She does. You know, there is a, and we talked about this, by the way, I host a, a podcast called Thinking Camp, which Go you ahead. should subscribe to. Uh, and on uh, this week's episode, we speak to Reza Eslan, uh, who is uh, a religious scholar uh, who studied religions, extreme religions, all kinds of religions uh, for the last 25 years. He also had a show on CNN called Believer, where he traveled the world uh, reporting on uh, uh, fringe religions. And he talks about this phenomenon, Peter, of uh, the Roy Moores of the world, of the uh, Donald Trumps of the world, that these people, in the eyes of a relatively small 
group of Americans can do no wrong, that no matter what they do, they still have their support. I mean, you look at a poll of Donald Trump voters, I think that there's a number out there that like only 8% of Donald Trump voters actually believe the Access Hollywood tape, even though there is Donald Trump on tape uh, admitting to sexual assault. And so the the question is, uh, it's two part, right? One is, why are uh, these supporters still behind these leaders? And number two, why are these supporters, when they are white Christian evangelicals who tend to have or or profess to have these conservative Christian values, how can they stand by these men? Uh, Go ahead. Well, and uh, the answer that that Reza offers is really in, in two parts. One is that people like Donald Trump, people like uh, Roy Moore are really less so politicians and more so cult leaders. And their followers act like cult followers, which means that whatever the cult leader says, whatever the charismatic cult leader convinces you of, that is the truth. You cannot believe your own ears. You have to believe and follow what the cult leader says. And the second piece of this and this is probably more so true for uh, Donald Trump than it is for for Roy Moore, is that when you look at white Christian evangelicals, what what what's important in that phrase is the white, right? Is that Don, is that Donald Trump appealed to the white identity? of certain evangelical voters, of the majority of evangelical voters. By the way, 81% of self-identified white Christian evangelicals voted for Donald Trump in 2016, despite him not knowing anything about the Bible, despite all these accusations, despite all of this rhetoric. Um, So the same phenomenon could be playing out here. If Roy Moore survives this story, if he is elected as the next senator from Alabama, um, you're gonna have, uh, you're oh. gonna have for the second time now uh, a man who was so publicly accused um, of of these charges, who paints himself as a Christian, be pushed into office uh, by those same self-identified I, Christians. I, I'm sorry. Did you do you think that there's a chance that Roy Moore won't win or that he'll drop out? Because listen, Roy Moore is still gonna win the election. You're so confident about this. Oh no, no, I know this. No, no, no. They can't take his name off the ballot. No, it's done. He's well, they going gonna, they're going to do like a special election or something. He's going right? to win that race. How is who's the, cha- who's the how's that challenger doing? What's his name? Uh, Doug Jones. Yeah. And there's a lot of heat around him, especially after Tuesday. Uh, but look, I, I know Alabama pretty well. I know conservative Christians pretty well. Okay, so help me out here. So they see this story. What do they think? Well, at least he's not a Democrat. Oh, in the other the other factor. Seriously, really? On this, I mean, there was one person who like blatantly said, "Well, he's still our Republican, and he's still good." Like, like, look, what you said about Donald Trump and, and your conversation on your podcast is all true. Thinking but the, cap, thinking cap of the that's podcast. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You only um, get to mention it five times today. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's all true. But at the same time, like. There are Republicans who know that Donald Trump is a bad guy, right? There were Republicans who came out after they accessed Hollywood tape and said, there's no way we can continue to endorse this guy. They still voted for him. And a lot of them went back and changed their minds. 
This Roy Moore story, as bad as it is, and it's horrible, and it should be a absolute career ender, especially if you're a politician. They look at him and they just go, "Well, it could be worse." Yeah, I you mean, know, how the, how you can put your Christian conservative religious values that you go to church every Sunday to profess before your God, before your community, how you can put well, we those aside. Are. We know who they are. Here, and, here's and say they don't, these don't matter in the political context. It's shocking to me. Here's why I think that Roy Moore is still going to win this election. The Washington Post took at least two or three paragraphs in the story to go out of their way and say, these women aren't Democrats. Yeah. You know, they didn't come out because they want to ruin this Republican's career. Not only that, the 14, the woman who was 14 years old, who was sexually assaulted by Roy Moore, sexually harassed by Roy Moore, voted for Donald Trump yeah. in the t- 2016 presidential election. Yeah. I don't want to take anything away from her or other women who may have been sexually assaulted or sexually harassed, but she voted for someone who was the president of the United States and did sexually assault or sexually harass women. The, but, the, 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 the thing to remember here is this is, um, they have a playbook for this. Let me put it that way, right? You heard uh, the Steve Bannon clip earlier about the Jeff Bezos and Amazon and Washington Post, right? It's a conspiracy. The liberal media yeah. is out to get our candidates, number Bezos. one. Bezos. There he is, <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Uh, so they've already got that drum beating. Right. They've got the fact that Democrats don't get elected statewide in Alabama, which they just don't. Uh, even in a year like this, even in a, an election swing like this, that's just working against them. And you also have the fact that, like, Republicans, it's becoming clearer and clearer that they just kind of hate women. And at the end of the day, they'll paint this woman who was 14 at the time. By the way, her name, we should know, she, she's publicly... Uh, oh, yeah, she, she went public with She it. went public. Her name, we should say, is Leah uh, Cor- Korfman. Nailed it. I did nail it. I Leah know you Korfman. did. You did a good job just with read the name. It, just read it so smoothly. Republicans want to control women. Yeah. And they want to control the narrative. They want to control this story. Because yeah, look, it's not a man's story, I, it's a woman's story, and they don't, they, they don't feel as though that she should have complete control over this. If I had to put money on this race, and I don't gamble anymore since I got my legs broken by that bookie back in 2005. (laughs) We remember that, yeah. But if I had to put money on this race, I'd say Roy Moore wins by a lot. By a lot. By the way, here's Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, in flight uh, with the president responding to the Roy Moore story, echoing what uh, Republicans in D.C. have been saying in response to it, which is, if it's true, he should step aside. The president also believes that if these allegations are true, Judge Moore will do the right thing and step aside. So they're saying that now, but you're saying that just like they did with Donald Trump, that ultimately that won't matter, that ultimately he'll be elected, and these Republicans will pretend that it never happened. We never talk about the allegations against Donald Trump. No. The fact that how many women, four, I mean, it's like a lot of women now. A so lot of women have The come fact forward. that I don't know yeah, how many women Double have accused digits. our president of sexual assault. Double digits. Shows you exactly how this works. Look, shows you this exact dynamic. There is a cycle to this, right? Like these, the outrage uh, over this type of stuff lasts for 10 days, maybe. And we just move on. It's like guns in many ways. 
No, it is. I mean, look, it's just kind of like the world that we live in now, which is one of the reasons that I got off of Twitter. Is it's just oh, like here everything gets. No, I'm not, not going to go into this whole thing, but I'm just like everything gets swallowed up by the next big thing or the next thing that we deem to be a big thing. You know, I got to say, like the, this is the, like the like the, the, the fact that there are men at every single level of society, the biggest Hollywood superstars, the greatest journalists, the biggest politicians. All of them have gotten away with sexually assaulting women, sexually harassing, sexual misconduct, whatever level, but treating women like absolute garbage. And they've made careers out of it. And it's not just those individual men. It's entire systems right. that enable those men That's to what act I'm in that way. What there I'm are men, there are the sexual abusers, and there are men behind those men who may not be personally sexually assaulting or abusing women, but who are enabling men and women yeah. who are enabling that kind of abuse every single day. And we just move on. And we right? just move on. We got like, Thanksgiving coming up. Do you think these Republicans want to go home and talk about this no. over some turkey and stuffing? No. 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 So They're going like, to move on. It's going and, and to... And it's also just like an uncomfortable truth that we just have to face. Like, even good progressives and liberals and democrats like they have to look at a guy who has look i'm not trying to equate harvey weinstein with like the uh, like other democratic politicians but this has been a loud progressive voice for many years and democrats a lot of them just don't have to face the fact that one of their guys is a monster Uh, you know i don't know if i am naive about this i don't know if um I have my 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 head buried somewhere. But when these reports first started coming out, really with Harvey Weinstein, well, with Bill Cosby, which it's surprising now to remember it was contained just really to Bill Cosby. But then the Harvey Weinstein story blew this whole thing wide open and created like a stack of dominoes that have been falling. It feels like every day a new one falls. I was so shocked to learn this about Harvey Weinstein, to learn this about Louis C.K., to learn this about Kevin Spacey, to learn, I mean, it's a long, long, long list now. But then I was shocked to learn that nobody around those men were shocked to learn that they engaged in this kind of behavior. And the fact that nobody said anything for years in all of these cases, just kind of brushed their hands and said, well, this is part of the system. And, you know, it, for me, it's good that, that we're talking about this now, that women feel empowered, that women are now believed in ways that they weren't believed just several years ago in making these allegations. But Peter's also right that we live in a society where a news cycle lasts 10, 15, 20 minutes, a couple of days if you're lucky, and we move on. I mean, we had, what was it, last Sunday... <laughs> 20 people gunned down in a church in Texas. It's been and do we even week. remember that? Do we even remember that today? No. So the question is, you know, how do we uh, handle this as a society? How do we reform and change the systems that, that allow uh, uh, this kind of thing to happen? Because power through power uh, flows through this. That's the problem, is that the people who are in power are responsible 
um, for these kinds of acts. So how do you take them on? And will we in, you know, in a couple of months when we when we when there's some distance between these Harvey Weinstein allegations uh, and, and all of the stories that have come out since when we were in the depth of a midterm election and oh my goodness what that's going to be like, will we still be talking about this? I can tell you what's not going to help is when when Senator Roy Moore comes to Washington. Oh, you are just depressing me this morning with a Senator Roy Moore. No, He's tr- right. The truth sucks. I newsflash: we live in hell. All right. Well, we should when we when we come back, we should look at what those numbers are in that uh, Alabama race because now I'm curious because I thought I initially thought when 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 the reports were coming out uh, about the the primary when Roy Moore beat. Uh, would he beat uh, Luther Strange? Luther, right? big Luther, big Luther. That it was going to be a close race. That Democrats uh, had a chance there to to take back to, to win, not take back. Well, to to win that seat for the first time in years since Richard Shelby, <laughs> who started out as a Democrat uh, and then became a Republican, held the Alabama seat. I'm trying to find the most recent poll. Obviously, there hasn't been any polling that's been done since these allegations yeah. came out. But but it's like single digits, right? Republican Roy Moore leads his Democratic opponent in the Alabama Senate race by 17 oh, points, God. according to a new poll done by <laughs> Access Research. That was done. That was released uh, less than a week ago. Does the DNC put more money into this than they uh, otherwise would have had the story not come out? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, we just have to face the facts here. This was a... I don't want to say an unwinnable election for Democrats, because that just, you know, I believe in the audacity of hope. <laughs> but you still do. <laughs> I still, I'm still, I'm still with her. But, okay, but <laughs> it's a different campaign. But all right, well, it's the same, same candidate. Look, <laughs> wow, I mean, wow. Really, I mean, really, I mean, Whoa. really, on paper, really not that much different. But look, my point November here is, 2017. Yeah, my point here is, uh, I don't want to say this is an unwinnable election for Democrats. This was a very, very, very uphill battle, like a very steep climb for Democrats to ever win this Senate seat, right? And the machine that has swung into action to defend Roy Moore and to excuse his actions. Yeah, but these Republicans aren't excusing Roy Moore. They They're are in Alabama. They are. Leave, no, right? they, the ones in Alabama are. The, well, the ones you read in who Alabama. Can't... The ones you read. Okay, fine. Oh, no, 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 I agree no, no, with you no, no, that the no, no, voices listen, in listen, Alabama. But listen, but listen, who are can't... louder in Alabama for average... Alabama voters? Do you know what yes. the average Alabama Republican voter thinks about Mitch McConnell? They hate his guts. By the way, what is they Luther... hate his guts? So do you think that him coming out and saying he should step down? That's just another. That's just another force of the hand from big government coming down on what we're trying to do here in Alabama. What is Luther Strange saying this morning? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I don't know. What if, is Luther Strange saying? I don't know if Dr. Strange has talked about this. Oh, is he a doctor? Big Luther. Big Luther. Oh, my goodness. That's my buddy, Big Luther. Oh, my goodness. We're in a world now where I'd prefer Big Luther. Yeah. Yeah, can we get Big what Luther? Can we what get Big Luther back? We'd rather have a man who goes by the name Big Luther. <laughs> He is enormous, by the way. I saw him in person a couple a couple months ago. Six foot eight. Stop it! Six really? Foot eight. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, that's because you know, that's like Trump called because the whole thing is that Trump. I don't know if did Trump come up with the name Big Luther or has he always been? He's called always Big been Luther? Big Luther. Okay. Yeah, he's always been Big Luther. Because I thought if you if to Trump he seems big, and then he must be like a ginormous, ginormous man. That's inc- six eight. That's incredible. He can tower over Trump. Yeah. yeah he's a big boy. Now, Trump's a hulking figure. That's part of the reason why he won. 
They're making big down there in Alabama. Ugh. I don't know, Peter. I look. I in some That's way, I, I agree alive. with you. Keep I agree alive. with you on this. But also, you know, we just had a swing. We just had a big election uh, just a couple of days ago where we saw a wave, yes, in a state that's different than Alabama. I, I agree with that. But we may be entering a period, and we're about to talk to two of the new uh, delegate-elects from Virginia, by the way, about that election, about the energy they saw on the ground. And maybe we'll ask them, can you transfer yeah. that energy to other parts Let of the country? Let me just say this. Let me just say this. If Roy Moore loses, I will be the the happiest person on TV and radio. I'll happily come out and say will you eat? Will you eat your hat? We'll play this clip. I'll eat my hat. All right, quick break. Bill Press Show. Stay with us. The Bezos Amazon Washington Post. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. video bill's commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show that's right youtube.com slash the bill press show and while you're there do hit that subscribe button for show highlights and the entire show you can watch wherever you want by the way we're on twitter did you know we're on twitter at bp show at bp show on twitter I'm Igor Volsky, by the way, filling in for Bill Press. At Igor Volsky is how you uh, can communicate with uh, with me and with the show. And uh, Peter Ogburn is off Twitter. Yeah, don't, don't So bother. don't follow him. Don't, don't bother. bother him. Do don't complain to him. Now, we're here uh, at the end of an exciting week. I don't know if you've heard, but there was an election on Tuesday with a big, big sweep for Democrats in that state. Uh, the new governor-elect, governor-elect Northam, uh, won in what may have been, uh, or go, at least going into that into that race, a close one. But he won by what nine points? Nine points. Is that yes. right? Here he is on election night, declaring a decisive victory, not just against his challenger Ed Gillespie, the former Bush official lobbyist, horrible person, but also against Trumpism. Uh, here is Governor-elect Northam. Virginia has told us to end the divisiveness, that we will not condone hatred and bigotry. And not to be outdone, in New Jersey, Governor-elect Phil Murphy beat Chris Christie's lieutenant governor. I don't even know her name or have her written down here, but here is Phil Murphy in New Jersey declaring victory on Tuesday. New Jersey sent an unmistakable message to the entire nation. We are better than this. Now, in Virginia, also, uh, we saw amazing down-ticket uh, success in the House of Delegates with 14 seats flipped. Uh, we have with us now two delegate-elects uh, who had great success on Tuesday, and we're so excited for them. Wendy Goodidis, she's the delegate-elect for Virginia's 10th district, and Elizabeth Guzman, delegate-elect for Virginia's 31st district. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank, Thank you. you. How exciting fun. is this? I just want to say, first of all, uh, Donald Trump said we were going to get tired of winning if he becomes president. <laughs> I'm not tired of winning yet. We've surrounded ourselves with winners. <laughs> we're exactly. And I feel pretty, pretty good feel about pretty it. I'm not tired of winning it. yet. 
How are, how do you feel? I mean, it is it's been what three three days since the big night. How let me ask this? How did you feel going into that election? Because I got to tell you, those polls looked close, mm-hmm. at least on the gubernatorial level. And some of us here in D.C. I don't want to name any names. We're mm-hmm. a little worried about what could happen. D- were you worried going into Tuesday? Well, uh, in my case, it was more about doing things out of the norm. Yeah, I think that we have been losing, at least in my race in the 31st district, we had two close elections and I'm like, this guy needs to go and I need to do something different. So we tried to do something different. We were talking to new people, people that did not know him, new voters, new residents in my district. We were talking to the Latino community. We did radio in Spanish, mm. we did TV. So we're trying to compete equally. And that was one of my goals when declared for this race. I've been running for over a year. And I had three goals. I wanted to knock on as many doors as he knocked. I wanted to be in the community. I did town halls, something that he never did. And I outraised him in money as well. Ah, so you so. were not, so then you, you so, but, but on you felt good. Tuesday afternoon, you felt, you felt good. I felt better than in the primary because I had a primary uh-huh. and I won the primary. And the responses that I had at the doors were well. I was worried about Northam two days before and I'm like, we need to continue to fight. I mean, he, my opponent worked really hard and I don't want to take that away from him. We fought for every single vote at the doors where I was knocking on doors. He was knocking on doors as well. When I need to differentiate myself from him, like what I wanted to do for the community while he was offering the same old, same old. He knocked on a thousand of doors, the same that I did. Yeah. But I feel confident that I was reaching at new people, people that never uh, knew him, that never never voted for him before and it was my opportunity to introduce myself I was bringing a new agenda I was for the people and I was an, and my message at the doors was like listen I'm just like you this is the first time I'm running for office and I run because I never met my delegate and he's been my delegate for 16 years yeah and people was like oh that's great I <laughs> many people didn't know him as our delegate, even Republicans, because I think we challenge ourselves to talk to Republicans as well, something that we have not done in the past. And it's like, when, oh, I'm a Republican. And I'm like, really? What is, do you know who the, our delegate is? And they were like, oh, no, we don't. And did you, like, you should have come in with like a picture, just this is what he looks like, by <laughs> yeah. the way. What about you, Wendy? How did you feel t- a Tuesday night? And tell us a bit about your campaign. Well, I... I am I always considered myself the most fortunate candidate in Virginia because right from well starting May 1st I had the most wonderful campaign manager I and we added on the most wonderful staff including five field organizers some of whom were given to me by the caucus and other organizations with five field organizers we knocked on more doors than there are in the district I mean we knocked on 100,000 doors which means you know, the doors got hit three or four yeah. times. and They're worn, those doors, from that knocking. <laughs> they are. Yep. And Things our message off. our message was that we need a different tone, that we need to get away from the negativity. We need to work together. We need real people to step up and take care of issues for real people, such as Medicaid expansion, which was a huge issue in my campaign. Um so going into Tuesday, I'm an optimistic person, and I felt pretty good, even though we knew the numbers were going to be very close, and they were a little less close than we thought, so that was great news. 
Uh, talk about what pushed you to run for office. Wendy, are you a first-time candidate? Oh, yeah. You're a first-time candidate as well. You know, I, uh, my uh, very good friend, her mother, uh, right before the election of 2016, retired. And then the election of 2016 happened. And then she's like, I have to do something. I have to do something. So she ran for uh, the state assembly in New Jersey and ran this amazing campaign in a conservative district, a district they thought they could never win. Um, They ultimately lost, but they came very close in flipping that seat. And I was just so impressed by that energy and by the decision to get involved in the very kind of basic tenets of democracy. And so I'm curious to hear your stories about what pushed you to like enter this kind of new career, this new field. Well, certainly last year's elections in November made an impression. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, then, still, still impressing us. <laughs> for me, after the inauguration, I marched, I rallied, I organized an indivisible, I, with seven other women, we organized an indivisible group in my little red rural Clark County. Um, so the energy was there. We were all looking for ways to make change, right? But the first week of February, I went to a town hall where my local representative spoke. And I had never met him or heard him speak. And I listened to him for an hour and a half, went home and looked at his voting record and thought, oh, that's not what he said. (laughs) (laughs) With that amount, that shocked you. (laughs) Wait, you mean there are politicians who don't vote uh, or act the way that they say that they do in public? I think I've heard of this. I'm shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, we get it. I'm naive. But I thought, so I start started to just say, okay, so whoever's going to run against him, I'm going to work on that campaign. Yeah, yeah. And I went from, so my, my district spans three counties, and I went to the Democratic committees, and I said, okay, who's running against him? Because I'm here and ready to go to work. And they all said, no one's running, Wendy. I was, oh. <laughs> wow. And eventually it was like, Okay, fine, fine. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I Did got you into it. That's remarkable, though. <laughs> that, is, that really is remarkable. You know, you hear, you hear a lot about how dirty politics gets, how your life gets dragged through the campaign. And a lot of people, because of those reasons, stay out of the political process. Were you worried about that? Going okay, in? so in my 20s, I was an international level equestrian competitor in the most dangerous equestrian sport it's called three-day eventing it's an olympic sport i was shortlisted for the for the united states equestrian team after you faced that those physical challenges and those physical fears this didn't Uh, seem too daunting i see (laughs) what about you elizabeth how did you decide to enter the political fray well um my life being a latina in prince william county has been just a constant fight. Yeah. You know, I we have a leader as the chair of the County Board of Supervisors who portrays Latinos as criminals, gang members, people who come to this country to harm the country. And that it's like as Latino in Prince William County, you become resilient to it. It's like, okay, yeah, they're always going to look down at us. It was upsetting, but this at the same time, you look at your priorities, right? You have to work, you have to go to school, you raise your children and you don't pay attention. It bothers you, but then at the same time, oh, well. But then 
I got involved with the Democratic Party as a volunteer since 2008 mm-hmm. when Obama came to Prince William County and did his awesome speech, fired up, ready to go. <laughs> so since that day, I grabbed my clipboard and I've been knocking on doors trying to help uh, Democrats to get elected in Prince William County. But then uh, for the presidential election, I was a Bernie Sanders delegate when he was doing his speeches, talking about his parents coming from a different country, uh, looking for better opportunities for him and his siblings, I was like, that's my story. Yeah. When he was talking about those people having two jobs or three jobs to make ends meet, and I'm like, that's me. He's talking about my story. So I felt very energized. And I became a delegate. I worked really hard to get him elected. I used my bilingual skills, calling Latinos in New Jersey, in California, just to get, it didn't work out. But one of the things uh, in his concession speech, note to the DNC, during the DNC convention, but to his delegates was, listen, um, we would, I would like for you guys to continue this revolution. I would like for you guys to run for office if necessary because cha- uh, changes happen at the local and at the state level. And we need to just con- fight the right fight. So I immediately had flashbacks uh, of my life in Prince William County. And I said, maybe these things happen because we just don't have a voice. Yeah. Corey Stewart does this to us because we don't have no one who could have stood up and said enough. We are not that type of people. So I felt about my, I remember my children. I re- and I'm like, I don't want my children to be raised in an environment where they have to feel different. They're Americans. So I declare in October uh-huh. and hoping that Hillary will win and we will have more opportunities, I mean, for women. And we, I work really hard, personal, to get her elected. The results didn't work out. But then the day after the election, and I tried to keep my children, at least the young ones, my eight and nine-year-old, I don't want them to watch the news and listen to the negativity that it's uh, on TV, on radio, but they talk in school, right? They realize mm-hmm. what is going on exactly. So my son comes after the Trump was elected, and he said, Mommy, we need to get out of this country. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, we speak Spanish, and Trump mm-hmm. doesn't like people who speak Spanish. And I'm like, oh, no. And I said, you know, I had to explain to him that he should be proud of speaking two languages, that yeah. that's a skill yeah. that he's going to enjoy when he grows up as a professional and i'm like yeah. no i need to fight even harder you know it's what was so interesting to me about the election is not just how big the win was for democrats but also all these different demographics that donald trump has gone out of his way to belittle or to threaten or to talk bad about whether it's women or latinas or middle easterners or african americans or trans people or Trans, uh, LGBTQ, just in gen- across the board, you had so many big wins in those different categories. And I know that like identity politics is one thing, and it's not the only thing. But at the same time, it's pretty great to see the president come out and denigrate all these different groups that sort of make up America and make America the great country that it is. And it makes you, at the end of the day, I think it makes you feel good about our democracy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like, like uh, if you felt somewhat despondent after Donald Trump won, and I did, but like if they, like <laughs> Real if, talk, if you were one of those people who felt really bad about that, like, oh my God, this country is in worse shape than we thought, you could look at Tuesday and say, okay, all right, maybe, maybe we're, 
we're not, I mean, look, there's still a lot of problems here, but like maybe the good guys are going to win here. You know, you bring up Hillary Clinton uh, and she has spoken since her loss about the challenges of running for office as, as a woman, certainly for national office, and talks about how she never felt like she had a true American story to tell as a woman. She talks about how she thought her husband had a real story about growing up poor and being able to overcome those challenges, how Barack Obama had his own story, but that it was challenging for her in American politics in 2017 to build out a narrative that she thought voters and Americans could relate to. And so I'm curious to ask you about what role gender played in your races and also this phenomenon which makes me smile every time I think about it, and that is that the resistance writ large is really being driven and led by women. Well, in my case, you know, it is not easy for a person, uh, for a woman run for office. Uh, for a woman of color, it's even worse. Like, you know, I was told, like, oh, Virginia is not ready for a brown person. Yeah. Who what told you that? Uh, Democrats, you know, in general, it's like you have an accent. No, it, it exists. It, I mean, it, it exists. I mean, I mean, so these, so were these people in the state party? No, not or? in the state party. At the local level. At the local level. In my committee. And how would they present this to you? Well, they will say they will not how tell delicate, you how delicate were they about <laughs> no, this message. It's like what happens is that they are not brave enough to tell you on your face. Yeah, but they go and make comments. But then those comments like filter through you and they oh they are saying this this and that because they are they don't have the courage to tell you on your face and i will you know i could tell them so many things but for me it was like listen look at the numbers this is a county that is a majority minority county mm -hmm. and whether you like it or don't like it we are, minorities are the majority in this county and our representatives need to be what who we are so i there are other questions you know they will tell you Oh, well, you have children who are going to take care of your children. And when you go on the Virginia Assembly, I'm sure that there are males that are fathers as well. <laughs> and they are not asked that question. Definitely not. You know, and then the other thing is like how your, your question, how you're going to balance your professional job, your professional life. It's like, do you have a job? Have you talked to your employer? And I'm like, you know what? I am a grown woman. Of course, I have to do that. I have to speak with my employer. I have to have support systems in my house because otherwise I would never, I mean, done it. Not yeah. even start it. Yeah. I would never start something that I will not be committed for. But I'm glad that, you know, I will encourage other women now uh, to just avoid those naysayers and run your own race, you know, stay focused. What are you going to fight for? And my target was my opponent. It was not the Democratic Party. What about you, Wendy? Did you encounter sexism? I feel as though I've been <clears throat> pretty fortunate my whole life, uh, pretty confident, fortunate to have been raised in an environment where, for me, that has never seemed to be an issue. Um, in this race... My feeling has always been throughout this year that it's time. It's time for women. And so it just seemed like absolutely the right and the obvious thing to do. I think it's possible that the contrast between myself and my opponent, you know, being a woman was a really, really good thing, in my opinion, in this day and age. Mm -hmm. I think there are quite a few people who think, okay, it's time. 
Okay, we're speaking with Wendy Goodidis, Elizabeth Guzman. They're two delegate elects from Virginia. You know, on, on that point, you know, it was not quite a year ago that we had the Women's March here in Washington, D.C. And I thought that that was really, uh, that was the first time that I actually felt good since the election. Like, the period between the election and the Women's March was pretty bleak time. But, like, to, to, on this issue, like, look, I'm, I'm a white man, I gotta tell you. Can you tell? Pretty great. It's pretty great. Really Having this power it. is pretty great. I don't get those kind of questions as you get. No, seriously. I mean, you know, like I don't Who's have to do your kids that. right now, Peter. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. They're still asleep. Yeah, kids practically raise themselves. Uh, but like to see that many people come out into the streets and to say like what this administration represents, what it is that he said, what he's admitted to, is not okay. It's just not okay. And so, like, the fact that women are feeling more empowered now to run for real positions of leadership is wonderful. It's wonderful. And it also, I think, begs the question, to what extent did Donald Trump and a, and a referendum on Trump uh, play? What role did it play in your elections? Well, it's it certainly in the districts. <laughs> my district has been a traditionally red district. Um, so this was interesting. Again, I'm going to go back to saying that I think that even people who voted for Trump were had gotten tired of a lot of the negative yeah. negativity and a lot of the drama, and a lot of and were tired of a lot of the negative campaigning, and some of which occurred in my in my campaign, um, and <laughs> so some negative stuff came out. Well, it wasn't. I mean, in our we kind of rejoiced when he sent out his negative mails because we were like, that can only help us. Yeah. And within 24 hours, the money was pouring in from the people who'd been so upset by by this the silly things he was doing, and I, it made people are tired of it. So I think that worked in our favor. That you know we tried to be positive. We tried to just run on record and on you know the hope hope to change things for the better. And then in terms of the issues themselves, I mean, you look at exit polls, health care, gun safety were key issues in these races. Talk about uh, the policies that animated your campaigns. Well, in my case, you know, I made part of my platform the minimum wage because as an immigrant, I came here and I have to juggle three jobs yeah. just to make ends meet. So I was knocking on doors and learning that there is still people who are facing the same challenges that I did 20 years ago, it, that resonate to a lot of people. People realize that our economy is not right, that there's still so many differences that we need to work in to fight for equality. For me, it was a family issue as well because as I was reflecting my life, my oldest daughter is 26 years old and I remember by having multiple jobs, I just miss out raising her. And I want parents to be present in their lives. And that was my fight. That I will, That's what I will tell parents. Another important issue for me was early childhood education. Mm. You know, when I really look at the numbers and see the amount of people that is being helped with early childhood education programs as early Head Start or Head Start in my district, there was none. There's like 1% or non-existent. So I work outside of the district 
and seen in places like Alexandria, Fairfax, where they make these programs and make a great impact on children and we don't have them. It's like, what is going on here? We just refuse to work with the federal government. We refuse to sit down with local government to come in agreements and implement these programs that will make a change in children's life. But then, you know, I always had to relate it somehow to family, right? Mm -hmm. I, I had to make it sound how it's going to help you, how it's going to help my stay-at-home moms. So when I was telling them that, I will tell them, listen, if your child is provided with quality care and quality education, wouldn't be you happy to go to school or work to sc or go to school or work full time? And they were, like, oh yes, because then I don't have to be uh, working minimum wage jobs just to pay for daycare. Yeah. So healthcare was very important, you know. It's like, it was amazing for me. I think I cried a few times. I would have to come home and just uh, recover. When you listen to people and they are telling you that they are one illness or injury away from being bankrupt just because they don't have health insurance. So those stories were like, wow, we need to, we need to continue to fight. We need to be there. Go to Richmond and advocate for these people. All righty. Wendy, good idea. It's Elizabeth Guzman, thank you so much. We're so sorry. They're they're rapping. They're playing the music. But it's so good to have you here. Thank you for coming in. Congratulations to you. May your example pave the way for the nation elections to come, Peter. We only surround ourselves with winners. That's right. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Igor Volsky filling in for Bill Press. Please do stay with us. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. That's right, The Bill Press Show this Friday, November 10th, 2017. Big smiles, big smiles this morning because we were just surrounded by winners, two of the delegate elects uh, from Virginia's successful Tuesday election were just uh, with us here in studio and telling really inspiring stories about how they took the 2016 election, the horrible campaign, the devastating loss, and they converted all that new, all that outrage, all that anger into something uh, so positive and so beautiful. And were able to really, Peter, I think, involve themselves in our democracy in ways that should ins that ins certainly inspired me. I know inspired you, and hopefully had the same impact on our listeners uh, and people around the country that, hey, if you don't like something, if you disagree with something, stop just complaining about it to the TV or online. Go and actually do something proactive. And so they uh, they ran for office, and now they are two delegate-elects from Virginia who are going to be in that uh, body come January. Two great stories. I two mean, the, the, stories. To, hear, to hear their stories were really great. And... and uh, 
specifically the story that she just said she went to go see who she could support that was running against this delegate. And there was nobody. And there was nobody, so she just said, well, I'll do it. I'm telling you, the resistance is being driven and led by women, and that is such a beautiful thing. I love women. I have all their albums. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about uh, more about the uh, big uh, election results on Tuesday here on the show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. You hear about this guy, O.J. Simpson? O.J. Simpson. You know, he's out of jail now. He's spending a lot of time in Las Vegas. Well, he Again? Went, yeah. It's like, really got to stay Probably right, not yeah. the Pro best tip. place to go yeah. when you're the O.J. Well, he has now been banned. A lifetime ban has been put upon <laughs> O.J. Simpson from the Cosmopolitan Hotel Casino in Las Vegas. Wow. Whenever I go oh, to Las just Vegas. Just that one. Just, just that the one. one. Okay. Just the one. Well, what did he do? Well, OJ, do, you, do you do something? He Well, he went to the... Uh, I know this hotel very well. This is where I always stay when I go to Las Vegas. Very nice. He went to one of the uh, bars in the hotel and apparently got very belligerent oh and intoxicated. OJ. OJ. And the hotel had to call the police. Stop it. To to escort Orenthal James Simpson out of the hotel. And he was so belligerent and he was so bad that they said, you know what? No more OJ. This is like both sad and infuriating. And I don't know how to feel about this. The juice is a sloppy drunk. Oh yeah! Oh, no, we, seen pictures of we it. have absolutely learned that that he he does not handle his booze well, and plus he's been in prison forever. Like right. you know, the tolerance is one way drink down. is three drinks. Yeah. that guy? One might say the juice can't handle the juice, Uh-oh. folks. Oh, yeah, I gotta okay. tell you. Oh. All right. Oh, no, I'll go away. Hey, you hear about the uh, the toy Hall of Fame? It's a real thing. They no. always do this stunt right before Christmas where they induct. The best toys of all time into the Toy Hall of Fame. Well, there have been some new inductees. Three new inductees into the Toy Hall of Fame. The Wiffle Ball. Classic. Solid. The Paper Airplane. Ugh. Which definite, I'm not sure if I'm ready to call that a toy. It is a toy. It's- Listen, for people who don't have money to buy actual toys, all they have is the paper to make the plane. I fully support that. It seems a little overdue. Like, if that wasn't already in the Hall of Fame, what would what they what did Yeah, what does that last year? That's like a that's legacy a good, award. A it's like, like when I think toys, I think of something that I that I no, go No, the and... toy airplane. <laughs> Kids make the plane. They use their imagination. Their I mean, by creativity. that logic, a knife could be a toy. Like, you just go grab whatever and <laughs> make it a toy. Really quickly. Is this what quickly. you give your kids? I mean, what do you mean a knife? I don't know. My, a knife is a weapon, like, Peter. I mean, that, a knife but, is like, a you, weapon. To, when I think toys, like, you your kids go buy something. who raise themselves are anyway, playing with a knives. razor. The third inductee it's like, is the board game Clue. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good that. one. I have no you problem with that. Yeah. All right. I don't like Clue. A knife. What do you mean? You don't like Clue? I don't like it. No reason on your radio on tv and online this is the bill press show yeah the bill press show here on this friday november 10th 2017, I'm Igor Volsky, filling in for Bill Press. Uh, by the way, uh, Bill Press, where do you find him? On YouTube, youtube.com backslash The Bill Press Show. Also on Twitter, at BP Show. 
I'm on Twitter, at Igor Volsky, if you want to say something to me. I wish I could see it, but the computer is so far away, I can't actually see it. Wink, wink, wink. You know, a, wink. Good, a good cook never blames his tools. I can't cook. And joining us now in the studio, political editor and senior communications advisor at Daily Coast, Caroline Fiddler, at CFIDD. That's me. That's where you can find her. Uh, Caroline, let's start with the election. Uh, there was an election on Tuesday. There was. I heard about this. We, by we, I mean me. I was anxious going into Tuesday. The polls looked so close. And I thought, well, if Gillespie is able to win this race, he was the Republican candidate in that Virginia gubernatorial race, with a disgusting white nationalist playbook that demonized people of color uh, and um, LGBT people and was just kind of uh, made you made you want to like go hide in a corner and cry that if he was going to win, that was going to be the playbook for every single race in 2018. Yep. And I was just sitting there and like crossed every part of my body and was like, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope this doesn't happen. But it's so close. And was Northern the right candidate? And oh, my God, he voted for Bush. And what is happening? And then so very quickly, we saw uh, early on that night the wave that eventually formed that pushed him into office, pushed uh, a great down-ticket, diverse, amazing down-ticket candidates into office, flipped 14 seats in the Virginia Assembly. Fifteen. Fifteen. They told me 14. Well, it was 14 the other day. It's 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 gone to 15. It's 15. Thank you for being And we might be at 16 or 17 by the time time everything shakes out. By the time we're done here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not here, here, but... uh... So tell me what you think the underlining forces that led to the results that we saw on Tuesday. It's being framed as a referendum against Donald Trump and against that kind of playbook. But I suspect that pocketbook issues and we we just had on Wendy Goodidis and Elizabeth Guzman. I can't uh, Guzman, the two (laughs) delegate elects uh, for Virginia here. And they talked about how pocketbook issues played such a key role in those campaigns, how healthcare and Medicaid expansion were so important. So it feels like it's really like a combination of all those things. It is. It is. Anyone, Anyone who says they have that the one like answer to what happened on Tuesday is is mistaken. Yeah, give me two or three. It's 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 several. <laughs> I mean, first and first and I think very importantly, like Virginians like took that they looked at the the Donald Trump Ed Gillespie playbook of straight up racism and they just said, I wore a shirt for this. Oh, nope. Oh, nope. That's so oh good. I like it. That was <laughs> so dramatic. Nice. That, was that was very right? well done. Yeah, I, I I bought that shirt hoping I could wear it for just such an occasion. Like, Amen. Virginia uh, says this yes. to, to Ed Gillespie and Donald Trump. Um, but so that is a big part of it. But also, yes, these uh, House of these House of Delegates candidates ran on these local issues. I remember when I met a lot of them at a training back in March, and they all were kind of they were all mostly were inspired to run by Donald Trump's election that yeah. made them get yeah, off their butts as well, yeah, and run for office. Um, but they they knew who they were running against. They knew what they were running. For and that's they don't run for against Trump. That doesn't work. You run for changing things in your district. You run for getting things moving in Richmond. You you run for not focusing on these social issues that Republicans get really hung up on. Um, and they all knew exactly why they were running and what they wanted to carry with them to Richmond. And I was very optimistic about what that meant for their chances at the time. And I am incredibly, incredibly <laughs> gratified well, that, to have seen it play out. That, that's the thing that 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 I 
sort of took away from the election, obviously Northam's win is big, and that's sort of like the marquee win, I think, around the country. But if you look everywhere, I saw so many people who were holding signs that were saying, like, vote local. And, like, look, as Democrats, we sort of got lazy under the years of Barack Obama because you saw all this bad legislation sort of try and move through, and we would just go, oh, oh, you know, well, Barack Obama will stop this, and he'll veto this repeal of Obamacare that the House just put through again, and Barack Obama will stop this, and now here we are, and it's like, oh, crap. Not only do we not have the presidency, we don't have the House, we don't have the Senate, and a lot of state houses have been completely taken over by Republicans in the years that Barack Obama was president. It's not his fault necessarily, but we just sort of rested on our laurels and you didn't see turnout come out as high uh, for Democrats. And now people are energized and they realize like, oh yeah, we can fight this big high level of government by voting in some of the smaller offices. And that's huge and that's key. And that's how you sort of sustain these politics for a long period of time, not by going for the big picture, but by building up, you know, a smaller picture. And in doing so, you also build out a bench of candidates who can take on those bigger offices. But so if we think about what the lessons of Tuesday are, and how they can be applied to 2018 and the midterms that are like have started and are about to dominate all of our lives. What do you think are some of those key lessons if you're briefing candidates in 2018 about what Tuesday should teach them, what lessons they should take from Tuesday into those campaigns? What would those lessons be? Well, I think I think actually before you start talking to candidates themselves, you need to take a, a quick step back and uh, talk to uh, the folks recruiting candidates. Part of the success of, of Tuesday was the fact that these candidates were such great fits for their districts. They had lived yeah. there for either all their lives or had a, a number of years and were involved in their communities to begin with. So all those candidates were great for their districts, and that's, that's important. That's important, yeah. And they looked like their districts yes. in many cases. Yes, thank you. Um, that's, I mean, that is part <laughs> of being a good fit, but yes, that is a very important aspect of it. No more, no more old white guys. No. Um, uh, in many of those districts, so uh, so that's important. But uh, to to candidates themselves, just being able to to speak to your neighbor, the people down the street, about why you're doing this is is incredibly important, and why it needs to involve things that touch them every day. Yeah, and so so the combination of those local issues, you know, Elizabeth talked about how she focused on the minimum wage and increasing the minimum wage and child care and pulled examples from her own life yes. to to weave those narratives. Uh, that seems to even be maybe even more important than talking about running against Trump. Uh, you know, somebody who focused a lot on running against Trump as opposed to four big issues was Hillary Clinton. That appeared to have worked less well. Worked in Virginia, she won there. Oh well, okay, true. <laughs> Good point. True. So, to what extent then, speaking of not just Virginia, to what extent do you think Virginia hears a bellwether for a lot of these races that we're going to see? We were just talking about Alabama, and we're going to dig into that a little oh, more. Boy. Daily Coast just in- endorsed Doug Jones. Ooh. Excellent, uh, excellent. Like right before that story dropped too, it was crazy. Town. Oh man, it was like really close, and that story dropped, and you're like, "Oh, gotta get, guess we gotta go with Doug." I'm sure that that was the thinking that went on there, right? That's how it went down. No, we just wanted to wait till the election was over. <laughs> also that. But I guess the, the question is, how strong do you think the resistance is 
in converting the online digital energy into electoral success in places outside of Virginia? I, I think I think it's uh, I think it's it's huge. Um, just uh, from the Daily Coast perspective, we raised uh, over two hundred uh, almost two hundred fifty thousand dollars for candidates uh, just in the Virginia wow. State House. Wow! Wow! Uh, for this election. Um, so uh, and that kind of money goes a long way in these state races. And so activating uh, these these grassroots donors to get involved either in their own states or in races that aren't in their states um, is is critical. And uh, and I think that people are are more focused down ballot than they have been that, you know, in in. In my political lifetime, I think part of it is that people feel like you know Congress is so broken. There's they don't get anything done. The president is crazy. The places where they think they see the change and where they do see the change is on the local level, and it's part of why I think maybe there's more energy there. Uh, I sure hope so. Or in a lot of cases, they're looking around and saying, "Wait, Republicans did this to my state," and they're they're getting up and they're and they're fighting back. So uh, this morning, really yesterday, the story broke about Roy Moore, uh, who now stands accused of sexually assaulting very young women. Four different women came forward, uh, including one Leah Korfman, who says that Roy Moore uh, initiated a sexual encounter with her when she was just 14 years old. He sat on a bench next to her. Um, in a courthouse and then gave her his number, eventually took her to his house um, where it appears that he uh, had her uh, touch him. Uh, this relationship uh, or this encounter appeared to have lasted beyond that that one instance. Now, when the story broke yesterday, national Republicans were quick uh, to distance themselves from Roy Moore. Uh, Jeff Flake, Mike Lee, Richard Shelby were all asked about the Roy Moore story. Uh, and here's what they told reporters. Let's just play all these clips, Jamie. If there is any shred of truth to these stories, he ought to step aside. If they're true, he should step aside. Well, I don't know. It's a, it's a devastating, nasty story. Uh, if the revelations, if that's true, I don't believe there'd be any place for him in the U.S. Senate. And then Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, flying with uh, President Trump in Asia, had this to say about the allegations that Roy Moore initiated a sexual encounter with a girl when she was 14 years old. He was 32. The president also believes that if these allegations are true, Judge Moore will do the right thing and step aside. But but you, you you've made a name for yourself on Twitter by pointing out all these politicians that talk about thoughts and prayers after a shooting. <clears throat> if these allegations are true, is the new thoughts and prayers. And again, as we, as I pointed out earlier, this story is very well reported. Four women who've identified themselves all tell name their names, name their names, gave the timeline, backed it up with uh, other women in their lives from the time that this happened. That they say that they told them about it. Like this is not a well. If these allegations are true, then he must step aside. It's a very well reported story. Now, Roy Roy Moore. I'll just add one more thing. Roy Moore is framing this as an attack on Christians as an effort to silence him once again. And his biggest benefactor, Steve Bannon, the former top White House aide to President Trump, appeared yesterday and blamed the Washington Post for even printing the story, claiming 
that it was a conspiracy. The Bezos Amazon Washington Post that dropped that dime on Donald Trump is the same Bezos Amazon Washington Post that dropped the dime this afternoon on Judge Roy Moore. <laughs> now, is that a coincidence? Is that a coincidence? I love the crowd. I love the crowd. Oh, <laughs> that's a good point. That is a connected all the dots. Now, is that a coincidence? Well, I guess as, perhaps not. As a friend of mine pointed out on Twitter, "Whoa, if true" is not a proper response to sexual assault yeah. of a minor. Right. No. I mean, we're talking about statutory rape here, y'all. Sorry. I mean, uh, that's what this is. That's what this story is. And I know that. Like, we live in an age where Donald Trump is president after admitting to sexual assault on tape. And I know that, like, we should lead, like, we should lead every single story about Donald Trump with that. Donald Trump, who admitted to sexual assault on tape, says this about whatever, right? Like, right. but we live in that time where it's just so bleak. Yeah, what role do you think all of these allegations of sexual assault from Roy Moore to Feinstein to all, I mean, there's so... Weinstein. Weinstein, I'm sorry. <laughs> lots Just of in case. Lots of people made that mistake. Um, <laughs> it's become such a part of our national conversation now. Do you think, even outside of when it's candidate-specific, do you think voters are... Are factoring this in when they when they go to the polling booth and make their decisions in 2018? Do you think it plays a larger role in our politics now than it had before, given the national conversation? Oh, well, I think it has to. It was not a part of a conversation before. Um, it was it became part of it uh, in 2016, but certainly not a big enough part of it, mm. and not enough to deter enough voters from voting for Donald Trump. And and who knows what what impact this is going to have in Alabama? Um, yeah. So Peter. Uh, last hour was uh, insisting that Roy Moore would still be elected senator in Alabama. Yeah, it's going to happen. Look, I I, 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 I hate to say that because uh, I know that you all are doing very good work in Alabama. But at the same time, <laughs> I know Alabama pretty well. And I know that, like, you've seen, I mean, the fact that these... People are coming out and saying, like, Ooh, well, at okay. least he's not a Democrat. Is you know, read, read some of the oh, some right, of the these crazy yeah. responses from the local officials who are ghastly. Uh, well, who appear to be defending this behavior with biblical text. Yeah, there was. Uh, I'm trying to find the guy's name that I that, that I mentioned earlier. Is the Alabama State Auditor uh, uh, Jim Ziegler? Jim Ziegler. He says there's nothing immoral or illegal here. Maybe just a bit, little bit unusual. And then he goes on to say that uh, Mary was a teenager who married an adult carpenter, Joseph, and they had a little bouncy baby boy. You ever heard of him? His name was okay, I'm going to move this garbage can next to you so Jesus you can barf Christ. right but, into but, it. But, but Joseph didn't... In- right. <laughs> right, right, right. not how that Now, worked. I'm not a scholar of the Bible, <laughs> but if I remember correctly, I don't believe they consummated that relationship. <sighs> so uh, what This is, is insane! This is insane. And like, I I just went to Alabama over the summer, and I can tell you, like, I spent a lot of time in the South. All my family's in South Carolina. I've I've driven down there. You still see some Trump bumper stickers here and there. You don't see as many as I used to see. But I can tell you in Alabama, it is still very much Trump country. Oh, sure. Very much Trump country. 
And I think that Doug Jones is like the most excellent candidate that Alabama could possibly put up for Senate. Hands down. Truly. Yeah. But in a statewide election where these people have just been conditioned to hate Democrats and Roy Moore, who has made uh, an entire career out of just adhering himself to the religious right, it's it's still tough. I mean, they're yeah, still how, defending so then, him. How does a candidate like Doug Jones respond to these allegations and at the same time pull away some of those voters who, as Peter points out, for some of them, it's more important that Roy Moore is a Republican than the fact that he's accused of these kinds of behaviors. Well, and, and for those folks, either they, they come out or they stay home. They're not going to vote for Doug Jones. Yeah. Um, one thing ab- about uh, folks from Alabama, I have family in the Wiregrass myself. Um, hey, all right. Uh, they don't Roll like- Tide. <laughs> Actually, Sorry. my dad went to Auburn. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> well, it's been Southern nice knowing you. Do not it's been nice knowing you. I'm a Razorback myself. Okay, so. all right. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Wait, but you both hate Tim Tebow. But we both hate so, Tim Tebow. So much. Yes, we have that in common, and that, that binds us stronger than the hatred of Auburn. I think I hate him, too, guys. Do you really? I'm like not sure, but I I'm, I don't think I'm supposed to like him. I'm gonna let you hate him. I'm gonna, I think you're in the I think you're in the hate uh, the hate party here. Yeah, so I'm here with you. But but folks in Alabama don't like being embarrassed by their elected officials. They were embarrassed by their last governor. They don't yeah. like that. My my family's all Republicans, and they spoke in hushed tones about yeah. uh, the former governor of Alabama who was ousted under <clears throat> unfortunate circumstances. Uh, not nearly as unfortunate though as uh, sexual assault of a minor. Yeah. Um, and I think that. I wonder if this might compel some Republicans to just stay home. Well, that is an interesting point. And look, I've uh-huh. been, no, a challenge to Peter Ogburn on the Alabama prediction. I, I don't hope. feel challenged. I will say no one will be I'm happier. Saying this is how this is one of the ways that, yeah. he, that this helps him win. No, 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 I see that point. And look, let me first of all just say I, no one will be happier to show up here the day after the election and say, you know what? I was wrong. <laughs> if Doug Jones wins, I hope to have that conversation with you. But. You know, when we look at the uh, uh, national election that we had a year ago, everybody was sort of like, how did Trump do it? How did Trump do it? What was the genius maneuvering that Donald Trump did? And the reality is, when you look at the voting, it wasn't that there was some surge in Trump voters. It was just that people were like, eh, on Hillary Clinton. And so, like, if you do, and I mean, not to equate the two, but if you do have a candidate that the party is not that excited about, like Roy Moore, maybe. Maybe that's the path to victory. Sorry, I just noticed my former law school colleague is on CNN. <laughs> oh, this Alabama stuff. <laughs> no kidding. That. Oh, that's funny. Look at Matt that. Gates. Oh, that's another story for another time. Oh, a congressman as a well. Congressman from oh. Florida talking about Roy Moore, uh, a Republican <laughs> congressman. I wonder what he said. I'm pretty I sure I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. If these allegations are true. Oh boy. Um, but anyway, uh, and in terms of what Doug Jones does with it, I mean, he ur- he needs to urge. Uh, voters in Alabama to believe these women. Everyone should believe these women. That's that's the, that's another huge issue here, aside from the politics of it all, uh, the fact that this is part of a Senate race. These Republican senators, woe if true, they're choosing to not believe these women. And that's why women don't come forward. That's why they didn't come forward for decades. Yeah. Um, that's, that's why we don't report, period. So, you know, we're speaking earlier, and I, every time there's a story that comes out about another powerful man being accused of sexual assault, whether it be Roy Moore or Louis C.K. or Kevin Spacey or I don't, like, 
every day there's three new names. I am like shocked every time. I'm like, but how is it possible that for years they did this so blatantly in front of other people and those people never said anything? I can't believe all the time. I'm like anew. I'm like, <gasps> do, what kind of reaction do you, are you having to this drip, drip, drip of sexual assault allegations? I am. I am incredibly proud of the of these women for for finding the strength to to come forward and talk about it. It's hard, even decades later, even and and part of what's helping more and more women come forward is is the fact that more more women are coming forward. Yeah, being that first one, the first few to come forward is incredibly hard. I mean, who's the most proud? Probably Gretchen Carlson started it. Do you think at Fox? Maybe in, the, in this first, like in this most recent wave of allegations. Uh, Honestly, I, I've kind of lost track. Yeah. There are so many women have been coming forward about, and like, are we talking about in the, in the media world? Are we talking about in the entertainment industry? Like, there are progenitors of this everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I mean look, th there's a story now about Mel Gibson sort of being accepted back into wow. the Hollywood society, right? And let's not forget, I mean, that was 20 years ago? Right. That, so, that he said what he said and did what he did against female police officers? Like... It, it's okay for him to be allowed back into polite society now, I guess. Like, this has been going on and on and on and on and on. And I think your point about this be Sorry, I didn't mean to take this question away from you. But as a white, but as a white man, yeah, I feel like I, I, I feel you. I feel like yeah. I should take over the question. Let me finish. But, so I'm sorry, but 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 my point is like this has been going on for so long, and this is just the most recent wave of how this has happened. Carolyn, do you want to say something? No, He's I, done. I think <laughs> you can speak. Yeah, as I was saying. May I? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> but you make a really good point. I, 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 this has been happening forever. Yeah. People have been coming forward forever in fits and starts and, and dribs and drabs. And now there's a huge wave of people. But will something change? That's the question. Are we are we talking about are we having a deep enough conversation about the role of men who enabled these assaulters, the role of the systems that allow these powerful men to continue engaging in this behavior and people just say that's the way it is. I mean, what is the response? I mean, it's obvious what the responsibility is of men and or women who see this happening and don't say anything. But it feels like if we treat these episodes just as individual episodes of like these bad apples out there like really got to get their act together and don't talk about the systematic change that needs to happen to stop this from happening on such a regular basis and, and there have to be if if this if these are if there if there are so many examples in the media that we see every single day i can't even imagine all of the sexual assault that goes on in everyday life from women and men who don't have power, who don't have a media spotlight, who who these men aren't household names and don't make the, the news. I mean, it feels like kind of an epidemic that's everywhere. And I don't know that we're talking about it in those kinds of terms. We're not. And that's why <laughs> and that's why women don't come forward, because we the, the, the cost for, for us is high talking about it again. The, the responsibility is on these women to come forward, whereas these people who witness it, men and women, enable it, say nothing. And every time we come forward, nothing seems to change. Nothing seems to change. Yeah. And it's also stories that we don't really want to hear, 
right? Like, do we, like, it, it's like very diff, it's like, ugh, is yeah. what it feels like. Sucks. Which is, which is also just, re, <laughs> yeah, it sucks and like reinforces that pattern of not actually having those conversations. <laughs> yeah, imagine going through it. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the Let thing... me tell you how difficult it is for me to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, this is very hard for us. <laughs> No, you know, I the thing that has been eye-opening is not to sit here and say like, "Oh gosh, I am shocked that this is actually happening." Because if you if you have listened to the women in your life, you know, as a man, um, <laughs> you've heard this. No, I mean, you've heard this, and I think that's what's really gut-wrenching about it is like the confirmation that it not only is happening, but it's happening with such frequency and so widespread. And again, like to your point, I mean. We're talking about the most powerful people in the world. And if it's happening there, you know it's happening all down the line. Mm -hmm. And it's from people who aren't going to get heard, frankly. But, I, I mean, look, I do think that this is a moment that we can either learn from or move, like, just move on from like we do with so many other things, you know, like the gun control thing. This is yeah. like a moment that we either can see and pay attention to and do nothing about or see and pay attention to and change our behavior as a society. Well, I mean, let's hope for the latter, but I don't, I don't know how optimistic I am. I, I mean, I'm a little more optimistic in the sense that there are, I mean, there have been things that have been excused for so long, even like, you know, like, this next generation of people coming up have learned that there are things and ways that you act around women, uh, next generation of, of men, the things you do and say that around women that are not acceptable, that like my generation wasn't necessarily taught and, that, and I'm not that old. And so like there has been a shift in how these things are, are talked about and done. And like I'm talking to my kids about that type of stuff. And it's a talk I never got. That's true. Hmm. Yeah, it's a talk. I mean, I, it's a talk I never got. Yeah, no, it's I a, mean, it's a talk I never heard, frankly, in school or or anything like that. At least those conversations. I'm, at least those conversations are now happening. We're starting earlier. We've realized what we've done to the, like society, and and like I think that there can be some actual concrete changes that we'll see. A slow process. I hope. Like a like a simmer of a slow process. Instead of a, and if nothing, instead of, there's a, there, there's those there's those switches to be flipped here, right? To make all of this go away, that it, it's going to take maybe a slow education yeah. of what's acceptable, what's although how you don't know that it's unacceptable for right. you to masturbate in a public space. I mean, like I don't even how that happens. I don't understand. Um, it's ultimately it's ultimately about power dynamics. Yeah. yeah, that's what that's what sexual assault and this kind of behavior is. Yeah. it's not sexual. It's it's power. Yeah, it's about the power. Um, the sexual aspect is just the the way in which it's executed. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and there's a lot to be there's a lot to unpack in terms of how power is distributed in our society. So anyway, happy Friday. We. <laughs> Carolyn Fiddler is the political editor and senior communications advisor at Daily Coast on Twitter at CFIDD, and of course online, dailycoast.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I have a regret that I am not president because I think there's so much opportunity. Mm. I think America is so incredibly well positioned. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show.
same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. That's right, all the video on uh, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. By the way, hit the subscribe button there so you can get all of the show highlights as they become available. I'm Igor Volsky, by the way, filling in for Bill Press at Igor Volsky on Twitter, at BP Show on Twitter. And I'm joined now by. Uh, a Twitter celebrity in his own right. <laughs> wow, look at this. At Seth Hanlon on Twitter. He's a <laughs> senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, my great colleague, Seth Hanlon, who has spent uh, the last you know months um, pouring over the tax reform cuts plan that Republicans have been putting forward uh, and has been pouring all of that knowledge into first 140 characters, now 280 <laughs> characters, um, and has been informing the public about the crazy, crazy provisions um, that Republicans are trying to really push through uh, before the holiday season, before the end of the year, really. Um, in what they call tax reform, but is really a big, big tax cut for a lot of really, really wealthy people. And I got to say, Seth, you know, a lot of people uh, ask me, you know, uh, how do you, uh, what's good on Twitter? Like, how do you get good at Twitter? Like, what do you have to do? And I say two things. You have to do two things, right? You have to have an authentic voice in the sense that it has to be clear that the things you tweet are like things you really feel and things you really believe. That's mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. number one. And number two, you have to have some kind of value add, mm -hmm. right? So you got to tell people like a factoid or, mm -hmm. uh, or, or frame something in, in a different way or offer an angle on a story that people will find interesting and unique and will retweet. And you do those things so beautifully. So I really do encourage everyone at Seth wow. Hanlon on Twitter if you want to learn about the tax reform fight. That's all. That's Thanks, that's Edward. all. That's all I got. Here I am in the presence of Twitter greatness. The two of you. you are, yes. Yeah. How <laughs> does that goodness. feel? How does that feel? Uh, so we're we're speaking just the day after uh, Senate Republicans unveiled their own tax reform bill. This is maybe a week, week and a half after House Republicans uh, offered their proposal. Uh, Paul Ryan, who was speaking yesterday, framed both of these both of these uh, policies as tax cuts for the middle class. Here is the Speaker of the House. The purpose of this legislation is focused on not giving the highest income earners the biggest tax breaks. The purpose on this legislation is giving middle income tax families a break. No matter who you are, Paul Ryan says, you will do better under the GOP's tax reform. So I think when you take a look at the fact that this produces faster take-home pay, uh, higher, faster wages growth, faster economic growth, and bigger paychecks. I think it's going to be a good thing for everybody, no matter what state you come from. A good thing for everybody, no matter what state you come from. Seth, what do you make of that? Um, he's lying. I mean, he's flat out lying. <laughs> I mean, there's no way to, you know, <laughs> this is why. I, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, you know, at, at best, you know, some people do okay under this plan. Uh, some people do worse. But to say that Everyone does better is just a flat out lie. I mean, I think we can we can start there. There are millions of taxpayers, middle class taxpayers, who are going to see a tax increase under this plan. Um, the Tax Policy Center has, has now looked at this, right, and it's and it's uh, you know almost about almost thirty percent of taxpayers see a, a tax increase under this plan. Um, and of course, the the way he's written the way they've written this plan, it really squeezes the middle class over time. So whatever he's saying about what kind of tax cut you're going to get next year. 
it fades away over time and turns into tax increases. Now, those tax cuts for the middle class that fade away over time fade away over a period of, what, five years? Is that right? Uh, Maybe well, longer in some there's cases? There's two things. So there's a credit that expires after five years, but they also change the inflation adjustments. So there's sort of a slow squeeze over time on the middle class. Is that the case for the richest Americans? Uh, no. I mean, I think for the richest Americans, I mean, so the, the big tax cuts that they're getting under this plan are just slashing the rates. So on all of their income. So, so these are like corporate taxes, right, right. pass-through income. Yes. The est eliminating the estate, the estate tax. tax. Right. So those are the major things. So those are permanent, enormous tax cuts. That will be there forever. Right. And so just to put a point on it, the point the, the richest 0.1% of Americans in 2027, so this is like looking out when the plan's sort of fully in effect, uh, get a tax cut of $278,000 per year. And those are people earning like $5 million and more. And of course, these are also people who for decades in this country have right. benefited from our economic structure. And President Trump ran an entire campaign on empowering the forgotten, forgotten man and woman in America, that they will not be forgotten, that right. they will not be left behind. And you do have some voices on the right, even people like Steve Bannon, saying that th these proposals right. leave those people behind, that right. they're not true, real tax reform, because it feels like they were written by the very, um, I guess, special interests GOP donors who mm -hmm. have been uh, who have been uh, who've hijacked Republican economic theory for yeah. years now and have developed this idea of trickle down economics, mm -hmm. uh, which says if you cut taxes for the very, very rich, if you cut taxes for large corporations, the benefits will trickle down through the rest of the economy. Those people, they argue, will create jobs. Right. Right. And I think that's right. I mean, so if we just look at this plan, I mean, this is a corporate tax cut dressed up as tax reform at its heart. You know, 70 percent of the tax cut is just a corporate tax cut. And then everything, you know, they're moving things around for middle class families. Uh, there's a lot of bells and whistles changing some parameters and, you know, taking some things away, giving back in other ways. But at this heart, at the heart of this bill is a massive corporate tax cut and one that's not paid for. It's put onto the deficit. And I think if you had asked voters, you know, why did you vote for Republicans? Why did you vote for President Trump? Cutting corporate taxes was not the, at the top of the list of their priorities. I mean, if you look at all voters, people want corporations to pay more in taxes, not less. And that's even true of Repu Republican voters, strongly. Well, you know, what's so telling now about, like, where we are in politics <clears throat> is you had uh, Chris Collins, New York Republican, yeah. who was one of the guys who was early on endorsed Trump, uh, come out and say, well, I have... My donors calling me and saying, if we don't get this tax bill done, to never call them again. Like, I don't remember a time in politics where a politician came out and publicly said, like, I'm getting this done for my donors. And Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham also, I was about to say, Lindsey Graham yesterday had a joke about, like, what's going to happen if we don't get this done. You're going to have the base angry and you're going to have the donors stop giving Republican candidates money. Like, just a naked admission mm -hmm. That they are doing this legislation, trying to get this legislation done because they want to make their donors. And happy. let's also add Gary Cohn, a top White House official, yeah. uh, in an interview with uh, John Harwood of CNBC, admitting that, yeah, there's, uh, there are tax cuts for the rich here, and that, he claimed, is not a bad thing. 
I don't believe that we set out to create a tax cut for the wealthy. But if someone's getting a tax cut, I'm not upset that they're getting a tax cut. Why shouldn't the wealthy get a tax cut, Seth? I mean, as you said, the wealthy have enjoyed all, you know, all of the gains from economic growth over the last few decades. Um, and we have fiscal challenges, and we need to be raising taxes on the wealthy. We need to be making their uh, making them pay their fair share. And so the absolute last thing we need in our economy is to worsen inequality, worsen our fiscal challenges, and you know, expand that gap between the wealthy and the middle class by cutting taxes for those at the top, slashing taxes for those at the top. Yeah, it seems crazy when we have so many challenges in our country when it comes to infrastructure, right. when it comes to baby boomers retiring in very large numbers, that you would think we would need government revenue to address some of those challenges. Uh, they are doing the exact opposite. They're only adding to the national debt, as these proposals would do. But these are also lawmakers and politicians who I seem to remember in the last eight years of, of President Obama insisted that everything be paid for, insisted that not a dime be added mm -hmm. to the debt. I mean, we've we've made videos in our work together of the very same members who are now touting this plan that will add, what is it, 1.5 billion, no, trillion, trillion, trillion to the deficit, uh, who in years past, when the president was Obama, insisted that this is the biggest threat our nation can face. And we've seen this playbook before, right? right we right. saw Republicans pass tax cuts for the rich, add to the debt, then a couple of years later, turn around and say, oh, this debt is out of control. Yeah. How can we do? What can we do? We got to do something. Let's cut the very programs that middle and lower income uh, Americans depend on like social security and Medicaid and 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 other uh, other other initiatives that they've opposed for years. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And so but you know, to, be, to be clear, both the House and Senate bills increase deficits by one and a half trillion 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 dollars. And that's in the first 10 years. So beyond that, the debt is and they've what they've done is stuffed all these gimmicks and sort of timing shifts into that those 10 years to get the cost down to one, to get it make it look like it's only 1.5 trillion in the you know after 10 years the costs are just going to absolutely explode um, and so this is going to devastate like the you know the revenue base of the, the United States and like you said the hypocrisy here is just absolutely stunning I mean Paul Ryan in particular spent the last eight years hyperventilating yeah. about the yeah. debt about the national debt saying it was immoral to pass on debt to our children and grandchildren you know, warning that we were going to have a fisc you know, uh, fiscal crisis like they had in Greece. You know, we were going to turn into Greece. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And this undoes decades <laughs> of GOP messaging. Like, they have... They well, have, eight years of GOP messaging. Sure, 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 sure. But, like, they, but they have built this narrative for so long now yeah. of, like, deficits are bad. Debt is bad. We can't have this. Like, the, I mean, the, the cutting of all kinds of things that Barack Obama wanted to do that he went along with, unfortunately, uh, and a freeze on spending and hiring at all these different levels because they were so worried about this deficit. Let, oh, my goodness. Now, I listened very carefully to uh, interviews with Paul Ryan and others, and when asked, isn't this hypocritical of you, you for eight years screamed about the deficits and how we need cuts in government spending, are now creating a bill that would add $1.5 with a T to the national debt, they would say, well... That's just a short-term problem. We believe that the economic growth 
that this package will unleash on our economy would wipe all of that away. Why are they wrong? Uh, they're they're obviously wrong. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, we've seen this play out before with the Bush tax cuts. I remember the Heritage found it when the Bush tax cuts came in. This was 2001, and the Conservative Heritage Foundation mm-hmm. here in town said that under they put out this report that said under this plan, not only will it will it you know raise more revenue, we're going to raise revenue by cutting taxes. They said we're going to it's going to raise so much revenue we can entirely pay off the national debt by 2010. <laughs> and and so didn't happen. Spoiler say huh? didn't what? happen. <laughs> That didn't happen, right? So we've seen these promises over and over again from Republicans. We've seen them on the national level. We saw them at the state level in places like Kansas, where they said that tax cuts were going to pay for themselves. And of course, they did not. And then, of course, you know, when the revenue doesn't pan out, when the growth doesn't pan out that they've promised, then, like you said, uh, you know, deficits are sky high. Now we have to uh, cut education. We have to cut Medicare. I mean, it's really like the definition of chutzpah, you know. Now, I want to talk a bit about the Senate bill that was released just yesterday uh, because it appears to be slightly less extreme than what the House introduced uh, a week ago, including a one-year delay in Trump's top priority of cutting the corporate tax rate. Um, Talk about some of the differences that we're seeing in what the Senate has proposed uh, and and what the House has offered. And then maybe we'll get into more of a conversation about how this will shake Mm -hmm. out politically. Yeah, I I think the most important thing to note is that the differences um, are far, far outweighed by the similarities. I mean, this is essentially the same plan. I mean, it was based on the same blueprint that they put out a month ago. Right. And so it's a massive corporate tax cut and they're cutting the corporate rate almost in half you know, from 35% all the way down to 20%. That's the centerpiece of both the House and Senate plans. That's the reason the costs, that's the overwhelming majority of that $1.5 trillion cost. So there are differences. You mentioned one, you know, the corporate tax cut goes into effect one year later under the Senate bill. But that in the scheme of things, I mean, that is a almost a trivial difference. So we, we've seen a lot of articles saying, well, the Republicans are standing up to Trump by, you know, delaying his massive corporate tax cut by one year. Um, and so that's a really like kind of myopic way to look at things. I mean, the bills, the bill is sort of exactly the same in its broad strokes. The other surprising, well, not surprising, but the other noteworthy development here is the process by which Republicans mm-hmm. are choosing to pass huge tax cuts that will affect like 100% of the economy and 100% of taxpayers uh, Seth, how many hearings have Republicans held on these pieces of legislation? Zero. How many? Um, uh, in, in, how many amendments and ideas from from Democrats have they incorporated into these proposals? Uh, zero. They entertained amendments. I mean, so they Democrats offered a lot of mem- amendments in the committee to put back, you know, uh, tax benefits for things like student loan, you know, on student loan interest or, you know, uh, the uh, medical expense deduction that lets people um, deduct when they have extremely high medical costs. And it was just sort of party line, lockstep. Every single Democratic amendment was voted down. 24 Republicans on the committee, 16 Democrats. Every vote was 16 to 18. Yeah, well, and then, then you know, I really kind of started my professional political career covering uh, the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2008, 2009, 2010. And I remember uh, the rhetoric coming out of Republicans, which is you are 
you are altering one fifth of the economy or one sixth of the economy uh, without a, really a, a robust deliberative process, despite the fact that that process lasted nine months and hundreds of Republican amendments were included in the final legislation uh, and hours of committee hearings with expert witnesses. This this that's not that's not happening here. They are rushing this through and they're hoping to pass it really with only Republican votes. Right. And I think they're pulling a fast one on their members, on the Republican members here. I mean, they're rushing this through as fast as they can. I mean, I'm talking about the Republican leaders like Paul Ryan. They're trying to rush this thing through Congress before anybody can actually absorb it and understand it. I mean, that was certainly true in the committee. Uh, to, I mean, these, this is like incredibly complex legislation with implications for every corner of the economy. Um, and you really have to you know, think about how people are going to game this. You know, wealthy people and corporations are going to game these new rules. Um, nobody's thought that. Nobody's had the chance to think that through. Um, and then I think there's just sort of like poison things in here that even the Republican members, I, I think, haven't really grappled with. Like what? So, well, you know, you mentioned like the, the adoption credit. I mean, this would mm-hmm. put that back in. But the, the idea that like we would take away a credit for adoption, <laughs> yeah, adoption expenses. Um, <clears throat> there is a tax on, on uh, graduate students. So graduate students that, you know, do a, a TA, you know, like they're a, a TA or RA. Yeah, um, teacher assistant. Yeah, yeah. so they waive their, waive their advisor. tuition, you know, waive their tuition. So let's say I'm in a PhD program and, um, but, teach, you know, doing a, a, a TA role. Um, now we're going to tax all of that, all of that tuition that they're getting, excuse, like the sort of scholarship that they get in exchange. We're going to tax all of that as income. So graduate students that have no cash, you know, no extra cash are now going to face like crushing tax bills. And it's the type of thing, I mean, it doesn't even work. It's the type of thing that like every, you know, university would lose their, lose their RAs and in, you know, what kind of priority is that when we're trying to, uh, when we're trying to, you know, boost skills and, and increase education. And, and so there's, but there's like, you know, dozens of things like that in this yeah. bill that, that they just have not thought through. And are they eliminating those deductions because they're hoping to pay for yes. the biggest cuts, which as you point out is the corporate tax cut? That's the only reason. I mean, there's yeah. no reason to to eliminate things like that. I mean, there is a there is a provision I, I just noticed in the Senate bill uh, yesterday um, that that taxes people on um, if your employer like helps out with your cost of bike commuting. Oh. You know, you can ex- exclude that under you know. Um, I think our employer may do that. Yeah, I, don't I, think, know. They, I, don't I think they do. Yeah. And so now they're going to tax bike commuting benefits. I mean, that doesn't make the tax code any simpler. It's just moronic. You know, yeah. it just hurt. It just hurts people. Um, and why would we do that? It makes no sense. They're just looking for they're just looking in the couch cushions for change to pay for their or not even pay for, but like reduce the cost of their massive corporate tax cuts. Now, there are points of tension with Republicans in both of these bills that we're going to hear about throughout this debate. So maybe let's take the next few minutes to break those down. One is something called SALT, mm-hmm. how much you can deduct your state and local taxes how do both of these bills address that provision and um, why are Republicans from northeastern states so up in arms about that kind of change? Right. So under the current tax code, you can deduct from your federal taxes the taxes that you pay at the state level, uh, which makes sense because, you know, you don't you're sort of forced into paying state taxes. You don't have a choice. It's an expense of yours. So you should be able to deduct it. Um, so uh, the House bill eliminates the 
ability to deduct like your all of your state income taxes and puts a cap on the amount of uh, like property taxes that you'd pay like for you know on your house. Yeah. Um, the Senate goes even further and just eliminates the ability anybody uh, the ability of anybody to deduct state and local income taxes. Um, so that's a point of tension between the bill, and I think it's going to affect people in places where that ha- tend to have higher taxes, higher state and local taxes. And so that, I think, by and large, is mostly blue areas, coastal areas, you know, New York, California, New Jersey, but not just those areas. Um, and there's certainly lots of Republican districts in, in California, in places in Illinois, in Virginia, in, you know, New York, New Jersey, um, where those members are going to, the, the middle class families and upper middle class families in those districts are going to be hit hard by the elimination of this deduction. And again, why? To pay for corporate tax cuts. The other piece of tension that's not even in the bill but could end up in the final version of the bill is eliminating the individual mandate currently found in, a, in the Affordable Care Act, which encourages people uh, to purchase health care coverage, especially those who aren't currently sick. Uh, and feel like, I don't need insurance, why don't I need insurance? It pushes them uh, into that risk pool so that costs uh, decrease for for everybody. Uh, now, this is contentious. It feels mm-hmm. like Republican leadership wants to keep this out of the bill, but in the in this uh, serving this goal of figuring out how to pay for these mm-hmm. corporate taxes, they may want to get some of those savings. Right. And, and to be clear, the savings are just because people have fewer... Fewer people have health care. That's right. I mean, few, fewer people have health care through the uh, Affordable Care Act exchanges and fewer people sign up for Medicare, Medicaid. Sorry. Medicaid, yeah. And so it's and it's an estimated 15 million people that who wouldn't have health care who would have health insurance. Yeah. So to the extent that, we, you know, we talk about savings, right? This is just savings because pe- fewer people have subsidized health care. Fewer people have health insurance that's subsidized by the government. All right, Seth Hanlon, very quickly, what are the prospects of this passing? How, how, are you, how, how, do you th- how probable do you think this will, this will be? I think it's more likely than not it passes the House next week, but we don't know. And then in the end, I don't know, 50-50. All right, Seth Hanlon, he's a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Follow him on Twitter at Seth Hanlon, AmericanProgress.org. I'm Igor Volsky. Bye-bye, everybody. This is The Bill Press Show.